Hi, and welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast focused on Bitcoin and Austrian economics. Today, I've got an interview with the CEO of Ledger, Pascal Gutierrez. But first, a shout out for the sponsors. So firstly, check out Kraken, one of the world's leading Bitcoin exchanges. They're renowned for having a comprehensive security approach with a world-class team. You can buy and sell Bitcoin in just a few clicks. They've got competitive fee structure, 24-7 support. They've got funding options so that you can fund your account with fiat or Bitcoin with low processing time. And recently, they've got Kraken Pro mobile app. So Kraken Pro delivers all the security and features you love about Kraken in a beautiful mobile-first design for advanced Bitcoin trading on the go. Note they've also got Kraken margin up to five times long and short, and there's also Kraken futures up to 50 times leverage. Kraken also have an OTC desk for those seeking more private, personalized service for large block trades. Go and sign up at kraken.com. This episode is also brought to you by Unchained Capital. Unchained Capital is a Bitcoin financial services company empowering their customers with unprecedented financial freedom and control. Unchained Capital make use of multi-sig and they've got this clever approach called collaborative custody. And so Unchained offer a two of three vaults as a great option for those thinking how best to secure their Bitcoin for the long term. And you can use Trezor or Ledger. It's all in a beautiful web interface and also, if you ever need to access liquidity without selling your Bitcoin, Unchained offer collateralized loans. So all Bitcoin is stored on-chain, dedicated multi-sig addresses, the Bitcoin is never rehypothecated, and you can share in the security by holding one of three keys in that scenario. I'm really impressed with Unchained. They offer excellent services. Check out my recent interview with Drew from the team. I think you'll enjoy partnering with them for your Bitcoin financial services. Learn more at unchained-capital.com. Check out givebitcoin.io. It's the easiest and safest way to get your friends and family into Bitcoin. Take it from me. I've given Bitcoin to people before and they lost it. They didn't know what they were receiving. That's why I see huge value in Give Bitcoin. Imagine if you could get people in and you could advance them to the point of being a hodler. Well, Give Bitcoin time locks that Bitcoin for one to five years and delivers them education from a world-class curriculum with input from other Bitcoiners such as Safedean, Matt O'Dell, Jan Pritzker, and others. I'm also an advisor with a small equity stake assisting with the curriculum. And you can also get Bitcoin as a present. So you can put it on your wish list for Birthdays, Christmas, bar mitzvahs, graduation, weddings. I really think GiveBitcoin.io can have a positive impact on Bitcoin adoption and understanding, so I'm excited to have them as a sponsor. Last but not least, CypherSafe. They are producing the Cypher Wheel product. So are you keeping your Bitcoin seed backed up in a way that's fireproof, waterproof, rustproof, pet-proof, and tamper-evident? If not, you need to look into Cypher Wheel. It's a new product, it's compact, it comes in a wheel shape, it masks the actual words of your BIP39 seed unless you actually open the tamper evidence seal. So if you're using a Trezor or a Ledger or a cold card, make sure you've got that seed backed up to help you in case your paper seed backup gets waterlogged or tampered or goes up in a fire. With the Cypher Wheel, you can help ensure that you or your loved ones have access to your Bitcoins if an accident occurs. And this product is available for pre-order. Check out the website cyphersafe.io. The link is in the show notes. So today my interview is with Pascal Gutierrez, the CEO of Ledger, and he was also one of the first investors in Ledger. So for this interview, we talk about some of his background in Bitcoin, a bit of an overview on Ledger products, and a few other ideas such as privacy while using a Ledger hardware wallet, multi-signature, the question of Bitcoin only, and future directions with Ledger. So here is the interview. Pascal, welcome to the Stefan Levera podcast. Hey, thank you for having me. So, uh, yeah, look, Pascal, uh, I'm keen to talk with you about uh, what you're doing with Ledger and also just your story and how you got into all this with Bitcoin. Let's just start with a little bit about how you first got into all this. 
Ooh, it's a lo- it's a long story. Uh, I got into all this uh, because uh, I did the first part of my career in online advertising, and it was great. Uh, but uh, I mean, one way to put it is uh, you're not really curing cancer. I mean, it's uh, it's online advertising, <laughs> and uh, and I had a great success with a company called Criteo that we listed at the Nasdaq. Um, and after that, I was sort of soul searching and trying to figure out where to take my career and where to invest. Uh, and uh, I was uh, presented Bitcoin by Vences Cesares from, from Zappo. And I, don't know, I thought he was an amazing speaker. And I thought that everything he said makes, made sense. And so I decided uh, mid-14 to invest time and money in the space. Um, and I did several things, uh, building my company called Kaiko that is run today by Soubiran, which is a market data company. Invest in Ledger. I was actually the first investor in Ledger. Uh, and the first board member um, to because security seemed important uh, and various other things that I did at the time. But this is this is how I got in. Awesome. And so then, what was it about Ledger that appealed to you? And like the idea of investing in Ledger was it just a demand for hardware wallets, the security, the need for security in the space? Well, no, because at the time, like no, I mean, hardware wallet was uh, merely a concept uh, and. Uh, and people were surprised how quickly I invested into into Ledger. Actually, I'm uh, the, the little story is that I'm the investor that sort of led the seed round um, uh, because I had like absolute faith into uh, what Eric and Nicola and the team presented at the time. But it was mainly because of you know first of all betting in the space. Uh, so that was my that was my mission at the time, and so therefore I needed to find like a few companies in security seemed the most important thing. I mean, you know, you have to remember that it was, this was just after the Mongox incident. Uh, and so, you know, security and data seemed to me like the two uh, missing pieces. The endpoint security seemed to be critically the missing piece of, of the ecosystem. And what Eric and Nicola presented is something that, uh, uh, what is what we do today, but it's uh, using the chip and pin technology to actually secure secrets. Uh, which is a French invention, and this is why chip and pin, that technology has been designed, like the hardware security has been designed, is to protect secrets. And so to me, it seemed like just a really good idea to apply that technology to protecting uh, Bitcoin secrets and private keys. And so it was really a no-brainer. The team was great. Uh, The technology made sense. It was a French uh, technology. So, you know, when you invest in a company, you you try to figure out whether they have an unfair advantage which seemed to be the case. Uh, and so all of this for me was a, was a no-brainer at the time. For a few years after, it was, a, it was a no-brainer where you were like, you know, wondering whether you did a mistake or not because the market was just so low. Uh, and so there was always a question of like, is hardware wallet going to become a thing? Uh, but really 2017, where everything picked up, I think, you know, uh, we, we along Trezor and all the other guys in the space, we sort of created a new... Uh, consumer electronic category, if you like. Uh, and that's very rare. And that's probably here to stay, actually. Yeah, totally agree. I think uh, the, this whole consumer category, if you will, of hardware wallets was very much started by companies such as Trezor and by Ledger. And because of that, I think most people, when they think of Bitcoin hardware wallets, they're thinking Trezor and Ledger is the first names in their mind. Uh, can you give us just an indication of uh, the size of Ledger's customers? I mean, I, I presume you'd have a lot of retail-level customers who've bought a Ledger device to uh, hold their private keys. Sure. I mean, we there's one number that we share, and then the rest we we, we keep to ourselves and to our to our users. But um, uh, we sold to date uh, above 1.5 million units of our products. 
Um, so it's a big number. But more, more than that, actually, the other number that is really incredible is we shipped our product in more than 165 countries. Uh, and so that's a number that I like even more because uh, 1.5 million units of, of any consumer product, uh, hardware consumer product, is a big number. But 165 countries uh, is incredible. Uh, I think that it's a testimony that the crypto phenomenon is global uh, because if you take any any product, I mean, it's very rare that a company that young, uh, on top of that a company that young, will ship uh, so many products in so so many different countries. Um, and so that's that's amazing. Yeah, yeah that's quite a achievement, I think, uh, because it's one of those things where you're trying to change the mindset for people where. Traditionally, if they're buying stocks, they've got, you know, it's it, they're not holding those stocks themselves, right? It's not like a bearer asset, whereas Bitcoin is a bearer asset. And so I think one of the challenges then is trying to articulate to holders why they should take their own power, take that key into their own possession. Uh, and so I think that's, you know, hardware wallets are one way to really help achieve that. Has that been difficult for you to make that case to Bitcoin holders uh, or has that just, uh, have you found that that's been part of the, the ethos of the industry or, or the way that people talk about Bitcoin? Yeah, I think it's the latter. I mean, you know, the first phase of the development of the company is more like, you know, we're part of the ethos of, uh, of Bitcoin and, and crypto communities and, and usually early adopters sort of understand, like they, they go through a path where they you know, you buy Bitcoin and then once you have Bitcoin, you're like shit, what I do with that, and you know, I had to make sure that I'm secure. And so the next step, and actually, you can actually see it online. Like there's so many blogs and so many things that have been written where, the, by default, uh, for your security, people, or, you know, say, you know, get a hardware wallet and you know, and, and often get a ledger. Um, and so I think that's the first phase. And I think for us now, the challenge is, you know, going forward, like how do we make sure that we remain, you know, uh, important uh, and and relevant. For consumers, and so because now you you will have like a broader adoption of cryptocurrencies uh, and or other type of tokens, uh, and so uh, and I and I think these technologies basically will succeed only if they are really secure and if the endpoint security uh, is is really secure, and so therefore, you know, we will do a lot of efforts in in 2020, you know, educational efforts, but you know, promotional etc., just to make sure that the broader audience understand the need for security and understand the need for decentralization because we also believe that uh, you know the first phase of the industry has been really centralized on a few platforms which is which is okay because you know uh, you know sometimes you need simplicity and it's true that decentralized value propositions were probably not as simple as centralized value propositions such as coinbase for example uh, but we believe that this is not the promise of decentralization and so therefore we're working hard to offer uh, in 20 and 21 a decentralized product that will be as good as, if not better than centralized product, but with a decentralized way where users really own uh, their private keys. I mean, not your keys, not your crypto, no? Right. And uh, one other aspect I was keen to ask about is hardware is difficult, right? So, and this is a very cyclical industry, right? Bitcoin, it it tends to move in these big waves up and then big waves down. Has that represented a challenge? I mean, I'm sure it has uh, represented a challenge for many Bitcoin businesses. How, how did uh, Ledger deal with that very cyclical nature of the industry over the years? It's a huge challenge because as well as this is happening 
change is also happening. I was listening to uh, an interview of Arthur Hayes from uh, from BitMEX, and he was asked the question, like, what has been the challenge for you recently? And he says, change. Uh, everything changes all the time, and so adapt to change in this industry is complicated. And it's true that this is also complicated with like ups and downs because of course the ups and downs represent your revenue so when everything cha- keeps on changing and you need to invest in the change while your revenue is is going up and down this is this is the most difficult thing so not not only is it difficult to adapt to, to to market that is going up and down but it's even more difficult to adapt in that uh, for that up and down as the market is changing so much and you have, you have the need or and or the obligation to invest so much into your product uh, so, but I mean, for a CEO and for a management team, uh, it's a great, uh, I mean, it's great. I mean, it's hard, but it's, it's, it's where you learn the most probably. Uh, so for us, it's been, uh, it's been, it's been a fantastic ride, to be honest. I think it's, it's very challenging intellectually. Uh, and so, you know, we thrive into, in difficulty. Uh, so I prefer actually that market to the bull market that we had in 17, because, it was just too crazy. I didn't really understand what was going on. And so, you know, for me, it was like, okay, well, you know, everything goes up and, you know, it seems to be crazy, but like we don't control it. Like we don't really understand it. Uh, at least I would say that at the end of 19 for me and for the team here at Ledger, I think we had a great year because we better understand uh, our business. We better understand our company. We better understand where we're going. And uh, and we think we have a plan for 2020 and 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 beyond that is uh, that's going to be really amazing right and uh, one other point i wanted to touch on there was around lead time when you're making a new product right because you could get really awkward timing where let's say uh it's it's like a crazy bull market and then you're you're at that time there's you know you're coming up with a new product did you did but it takes time for that new product to to land and you don't obviously don't want that to land during the down cycle. Did you have any trouble dealing with that kind of issue? Not really. I mean, not the short answer is not really. And the longer answer would be to say, you know, like the, the, the market moves quickly, but you have like, uh, and, and, but you have periods of three to six months where you can sort of make your decision. So, you know, it's quick, but you still have like, it's not, uh, one week over the next. And so therefore, for hardware production, typically, which is something that has huge impact on, on the company, uh, you know, you need sort of three to six months to, to make to make decisions and or to, uh, you know, six to 12 months to take a product to market. So I would say that, you know, there is nothing that uh, that hurt the company in the sense in, in that period, in the sense that we always had time to plan and we we plan everything carefully. And I think that everything we've done uh, in the bear market has been somewhat successful. I mean, the Nano X, our new product, uh, has been received uh, very positively by the community. Uh, we sold a bunch. Uh, it's a great product. I mean, I'm using it every day. It's it's really good. I mean, the Nano S was good, but Nano X, has, uh, Nano X, I think, uh, is the a better version of the of the Nano S. So you know, so so far so good. We didn't break anything. Everything went. It was difficult, and it was. It was a storm. It is still a storm, but we didn't break anything and the ship is still sailing. <laughs> right. Well, speaking of breaking things, I'd love to talk a little, a little bit about the security aspects as well. So uh, listeners might know I recently interviewed Charles from uh, the Ledger Donjon, who's also working with Ledger. Uh, can you tell us a little bit from your perspective, what has it been like trying to maintain 
security standards on the product and you know dealing with things like hacks and attacks that come up here and there? Sure. Well, so Shaggy May that you're referring to is our chief security officer uh, and has been recently promoted to our chief technology officer, is our CTO. Now he's our CTO and CSO. Um, and Nicolas Baca, who is the founder and original CTO, is now our chief innovation officer. So CIO. Um, look, security is at the core of everything that we do. Uh, and uh, we, again, come from uh, all of our engineers here. And if, if you speak to Charles or if you speak to Nicolas, they have like you know, security uh, in their background and they come from security companies themselves. And they've been working on that security issue for a long time. Um, but again, we, we, we come from this chip and pin industry, so secure hardware industry. Uh, and so everything from the hardware perspective has to be secure. And as you know, probably Ledger has designed its own operating system that runs then into the secure hardware that either we design or that we buy off the shelf from, from vendors. So typically... Uh, what you see in the Ledger Nano S, I mean, it looks like a USB stick, but inside there is a there is a secure element onto which we port our operating system, uh, and that's what uh, secure the private keys. Um, and so for us, really, there is never a question about you know, compromising on security or you know do we uh, do we lighten up security, for example, to make it uh, more usable. Uh, and of course, you know, when you work on security and you build uh, a product for consumers, there's always this question, usability versus security. But for us, there is, uh, th th there is never, uh, we never compromise on this. We, we believe that we have the most secure product in the market today. Uh, but security is a cat and mouse problem in the sense that, uh, you know, the bigger the industry becomes, uh, the, the, the higher the fee the attackers are willing to pay in order to attack. Uh, and so therefore... It's a never-ending problem where you always need to work on your security. So this is what we do. And as you know, so Ch Charles, as chief security officer, is at the head of something that we call the dungeon here at, at Ledger. So we have a, we have a hacker team uh, internally that hacks our products, uh, that hacks our partners' products, our competitors' products. Uh, and the aim of the dungeon is just to raise the security level of the industry overall, of Ledger products, of course, but security of the industry overall. So when we break a competitor's product, it's always in the spirit of, you know, uh, helping them do better. And so we have a responsible disclosure um, a scheme that we apply. So of course we fix the problem first before we release anything, and it's really in the spirit of the, just the industry doing better for, for for the for the consumers and for the enterprise and for everyone that's going to, that's going to have that uh, security endpoint uh, issue. Right, and uh, is does Ledger make use of a bug bounty program also? Yeah, yeah, we do. Uh, actually, I think you can find it on our website. Ledger. I'm just I'm just typing it as we speak, but uh, yeah, bounty program Ledger. Ledger.com slash bounty dash program. It's there. It's all explained. And we're working with a lot of researchers actually outside of Ledger with the Ledger Dungeon uh, to, uh, to to work on various security issues. Again, it's a never-ending problem. Like you know, we we think we're good right now, and we think we probably have the best security in the market. But but uh, but it doesn't stop there. So we continuously invest into security and the future security of our products. And uh, I guess the other question is just around the uh, the secure element question as well. So I think this is a point where uh, I think it came up with uh, Charles as well, uh, where we spoke a little bit about 
that and and uh, Charles was making the point that essentially there are some uh, components within uh, within the secure element which are closed source, uh, but this is again uh, a, just a difficult problem at this point. Uh, do you have any views on uh, where that is at this point and uh, where we would see that uh, in going in the future? Sure. I mean, we have to understand that. I will tell you the way I, I learned this through my experience at Ledger, because of course, as you understand from the beginning of this chat, like my background is not in security, it's in advertising. So in advertising, we didn't really care about hardware security. And so I had to learn uh, sometimes the hard way of like, you know, the implications of security and why, et cetera, et cetera. Um, most of security companies before Ledger uh, do actually something that's called security by obscurity. So meaning they don't tell you anything, they don't open source anything, uh, because obviously as soon as you tr try to open source, it's a much more difficult problem that you're trying to solve because then you're, you, you're showing what's inside and because you're showing what's inside, so attackers can potentially use that against you. And so um, this is why, um, again, most security companies do security by obscurity. Um, Ledger is very new. We are very new in our approach because we use the same kind of uh, secure hardware but we try to open it, and but, but we only open it partially, but we try to open it as much as we can in order for third-party companies and third-party developers to be able to work on the operating system and develop new features on top of our operating system. So it's a very, it's a very new approach. Um, and, uh, and typically with the dungeon, uh, again, it's, uh, it's also uh, a part of that approach where the dungeon is publishing a lot of the results. Uh, usually attack labs don't publish much, uh, but we've attracted probably some of the best uh, hackers that we have here um, and some of the best researchers that we have here because of that open approach, uh, because it's a very uh, frustrating world where, you know, you're finding great things, but you can't talk about it. Uh, and here at Ledger, our approach is to actually, you know, find things, solve the problems, and then talk about what we found just to share the knowledge with the community. So our approach with security is very open. However, there are certain things that we can't open, not so much because of Ledger and what we do, because we would prefer to work in a fully open manner. Uh, but there are some constraints that we have with our vendors, uh, because they are part of the th part of things that actually are irrelevant to Ledger, but that would be part of the code that could be open. Um, that then has to do with our vendor product, and so for for reasons like this. We don't open all the way uh, because we have some constraints with with, uh, with with vendors, which is which is okay and normal, um, and that's how the market works as well. So we're trying to push the limits of security, and uh, but within boundaries that are sometimes uh, that we have to that we have to obey, and happy to obey to those boundaries sometimes. I appreciate that. Yeah, sure. Uh, and look, let's talk through just some of the key products then. So as you mentioned, we've got the Ledger Nano S, which is the original Ledger device. And more recently, we've got the Ledger Nano X, which is the uh, Bluetooth-enabled newer device by Ledger. And then, the, as I see it, the main software is Ledger Live, which is the computer software to interact with the hardware wallet and there's also a mobile phone version of ledger live so could you just give us a bit of an overview uh, on those different products what are the main differences between them yeah so that's the uh that's the consumer products that you just described and so well the main difference between the nano s and the nano x uh, is really you know bluetooth connectivity like you just said but capacity i think uh, memory capacity i think the market has evolved between like 2014 or 
early 15 where it was Bitcoin only to to today and even the future where we went from one coin to potentially like hundreds of coins or thousands of coins, etc. And so uh, uh, the Nano S was actually designed in already 2015, was released in 2016. And so it was designed with the needs of the time. And so with the Nano S at any given time, depending on the... Uh, depending on the uh, uh, firmware update that you're on, et cetera. But let's say that you can have between like three and seven apps to run at one time on your Nano S, uh, which means that you can use on Ledger Live between like, let's say three and seven uh, coins without having to install or disinstall the apps. Um, because the Nano S or the Nano X, they work a little bit like a phone. So you have a, you have a capacity and you can, and one coin is one app. So you can put, you can put only so many coins at the time as an app on your, on your Nano S. So it's three to seven. Gotcha. Yeah. And, and so, and so people were asking for more capacity. So this is one of the reasons why we designed the Nano X is because now with the Nano X, you can have hundred apps to, to run on your Nano X at any time. Uh, so which is much, much bigger. Like it's a, it's a, it's a huge capacity. And so Nano S costs 59 and Nano X costs 119. So for, for less than double the, well, for double the price, you get, I don't know, uh, something like uh, 10x the capacity or 15x the capacity. So it's a, it's a, it's a really nice upgrade and it's something that I've been asked for a long time. I see, yeah. So, so that's, that's the main difference between the two. Right, I see. Yeah, and uh, look from uh, I guess for me and my show, it's mostly it's basically Bitcoin only, and my listeners are mainly interested in the Bitcoin only component of it. But I suppose there might be uh, another security aspect of it, where perhaps from a, a minimizing the attack surface point of view, uh, they might be interested to uh, have a Bitcoin only uh, device. Is that something you would uh, explore? Uh, well. It's already the case. So I think there is a misconception about like how we do things. Uh, and also because sometimes we're being compared to the competition that has a different approach, actually different technological approach, which makes the Bitcoin only thing a thing, uh, where for us, it's already part of the DNA. It's already part of what we do. So this app system that I just described is actually uh, the fact that all apps are segregated, segregated from each other because of the hardware security. Okay. And so therefore, uh, if you only download the Bitcoin app, voila, your OS is Bitcoin only. You don't have to download another app and we don't need to design an OS that is specific to, to, to Bitcoin because the job is already done. Uh, the problem with other vendors, uh, and, and some of the competitors is that, you know, apps potentially could contaminate them, each other, etc. Which is not the case for us and so therefore there is a need on the one side to develop like a specific os for bitcoin when for us it's already part of the value proposition that if you want to be bitcoin only that's fine it works uh, and so we don't need to develop a specific uh, operating system for that because it's already been designed for that great yeah look uh i think that there, there was a some discussion i saw this was a little while ago around that i think that gets a little bit more into the technical weeds though so i think we can leave that for another time um but uh, i'm also interested to discuss just any of your thoughts around uh bitcoin privacy as well so right now if you set up using ledger live obviously as part of the way the software works you have to basically give your extended public key uh, to the ledger server to feed you what your addresses and your balances are and i suppose do you have any thoughts around ways that users can uh, maintain more of their privacy is that something that you would try to uh, build into a future product or a software yeah i think it's it's something that's clearly on our roadmap for for 2020 uh 
you know, the difficulty with for, for, for Ledger is that, you know, there are some features that you're describing that are super advanced and are very important for like a, a subset of the, the, the broader uh, crypto community. Uh, and then there is the mass market. And so therefore, for us, it's always a difficulty to, you know, understand, you know, what's the most important to do next, because you have features that are mass market and you have features that are equally important, let's say, uh, philosophically speaking, but therefore like a, a smaller market. Uh, but it doesn't really matter to us whether the market is big or small. I mean, there are certain things that play into the philosophy of this industry. And so typically privacy being one, you know, this is top of top of mind for us. Uh, and it's definitely in the roadmap for, for 2020. I cannot give you any date, uh, but I can tell you that it's been a uh, it's an ongoing debate internally on you know how to do this and how to do this uh, the best possible way, and uh, and there's a broad broader yeah no I appreciate that so and it's something that is definitely top of mind for us and live in 2020. Gotcha yeah and I appreciate again it is uh, there is this question of how do you get people to firstly hold their own keys so it is at least an improvement on them leaving their coins uh, with a custodian where at least if they are self custodying even if with reduced privacy well at least that's better than you know not having their own keys right so i appreciate that um so yeah and obviously appreciate that uh there is a question here around mass market versus what the what we might say the more advanced or hardcore bitcoiner user might desire in the product another one as well and maybe this will be a similar answer as well is this question of multi-signature so right now i would love to be able to do multi-signature in a way with where i could use different hardware wallet providers all as part of a multi-signature setup so for example i could have you know a cold card and a trezor and a ledger all as part of a multi-signature setup but right now that's a little bit more difficult to achieve with the uh with the ledger devices uh as i understand what uh, well, one example might be if you try to um, perform a multi-signature transaction with ledger today with some of the devices it won't be easy to verify exactly uh, on the device which address am i spending to which uh, how much am i spending etc i think i think sorry to be clear i think it will show the amount you're spending but it won't necessarily be clear about um the address component of it so it makes it a little bit more difficult that we have to now trust our the hot computer uh which could be obviously have malware and we obviously want to trust the hardware first so do you have any views around uh multi-signature support yeah i mean you, you said it in your introduction you probably have the same answer than the one before multi-signature is also part of the uh 2020 roadmap it's not something that we've uh let's say there's not something that we've overlooked in 19 but uh but 19 has been a challenging year we're very busy working on uh on on so many things uh and also we've scaled our engineering team a lot i've got uh right now 40 engineers that I'm recruiting as we speak. Uh, and so this is the need of like new features and new coins. And uh, so I know like, you know, you guys are probably Bitcoin only, but uh, but there are many other projects in the world right now that are, that are going on where that we need to pay attention because we we don't want to, uh, to, to become obsolete because we don't support the latest tech. So the need for tech support is so huge that sometimes it's, uh, it's very difficult to, to, to know, uh, you know, uh, from which angle and, and which problem to, to, to take first. Uh, and we've achieved a lot in, in 19. I mean, Ledger Live didn't really exist uh, at the beginning of uh, of 19. We didn't have the Nano X, et cetera. So actually 19 was a, uh, was a very important year for Ledger. And there are many things that were achieved. Some of the things were uh, not done. So typically multi-sig is, is one, but uh, 
but R&D and, uh, and, and Nicolas, they're working on this right now. Uh, and again, that's, that's, we will do better at that in, in 2020, for sure. Great. Yeah. And look, I think there is potentially a good uh, benefit there for a lot of the uh, hardware wallet manufacturers, because then if they're supporting multi-signature, it becomes easier for there to now be a need for users who were previously just doing single signature, single hardware wallets. Well, now they can use multi-signature and then you know they might they will need obviously multiple devices to help achieve that so there's potentially uh an angle there but there is that but you know to be honest like of course we're here to do business and and, and sell stuff but you know i think multi-sig for me and having a better multi-sig approach i think it's important because you know security is one thing but governance is another thing that we bring uh, and it's typically uh, what we're doing with our enterprise product is security and governance um, so multi-signature enforced on the hardware is actually something that we do, but more for the enterprise today. Um, and so the need for governance for, 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 for the consumer is actually really big. And so it's, <clears throat> it's something that is really, that's why it's also top of mind for us in 2020, because users, you know, it's great to have your private keys. It's great to have them on ledger, but you become the single point of failure, meaning that, you know, to, to seal your coins. The only thing I have to do is to threaten you with a knife or with a gun. Uh, you, you, know, you type your PIN, we do one transaction, and I wipe out uh, your crypto. Uh, and so this is a serious threat. And, uh, and so you know, when we think about security, we think about security overall, not just the hardware security. And then you know, the personal security of the user is none of our concern. Actually, it is. Uh, this is why when we design the enterprise product, we design it uh, specifically uh, within mind physical threats to the user. Because if you design an enterprise product, but the only thing that you can do to break the bank is just to kidnap uh, the general manager of the bank. Then your security product is not great. Uh, uh, and so, so, so we know how to do that, and we've done it from the enterprise world first, and we're bringing it to to consumers. But it, it is a problem, and this is why we're thinking about that. It's more because of security uh, rather than you know selling more hardware. And of course, if the consequence is that we sell more hardware, we'll take that too. But uh, security is at the core of everything we do, and that's a security issue. Yeah, totally fair enough then. Um, one other question around uh, arguably security as well is uh, the discussion where individuals who would like to secure their Bitcoin in more secure ways try to find ways to air gap their uh, keys away from the hot computer. And one, uh, some of the ways that people talk about this is using, say, micro SD cards or potentially a QR codes as a way to uh, trans. Uh, sort of move that or shuttle the transaction back and forward between the computer and the hardware device where the private keys are living. Do you have any thoughts around the use of some of those air gapping methods and potentially also any thoughts around PSBT, partially signed Bitcoin transactions? Well, these are advanced questions. So, if, and I'm, you know, Charles and Nicola would be better, uh, better people sure. on your show to discuss, to discuss these issues. The Look, we've designed the product, so we don't really need, you don't really need to air gap it. Uh, I think you know when it comes to security, there is always uh, <clears throat> um, a question of trust, uh, and uh, you know, do you trust your security vendor, and do you trust what Ledger says or not? But uh, our product. Uh, actually, our product is the only certified product in the market. So with security, you can say what you what you do. You can actually give means for the users to verify that what you do, what you say, and what you do is true, uh, which is the case for Ledger. And then you can go one step uh, beyond that and uh, and and have a security have your product 
security reviewed by an attack lab, which uh, and, and and that will give you a certification to, and the certification is a stamp to say, hey, you know, the ledger product actually does uh, what it's supposed to do or what it says that it does. Uh, and actually, if you take the Nano S and the Nano X, uh, these are the, to my knowledge, the only two uh, hardware wallet products that got a certification to date. And I'm not talking about the certification of the, of the secure element because, of course, the secure element is certified, but that's by a vendor. I'm actually talking about the product itself, the Nano S and the Nano X, the entire product has been certified by the ANSI, which is a which is a French attack lab. It's a French public attack lab. It's a, it's very well known. It has an amazing reputation, and uh, and and both of our products are certified. And so, therefore, the products do what they say they do, meaning like you can you can connect you can connect them to your computer without uh, the risk of losing your private keys. So now. The air gap discussion for me, it's a bit uh, dogmatic discussion. Uh, the way I understand it is like, you know, maybe I don't really trust. I never wanted to be connected. So I wanted it to be offline, but actually I don't think there's a need for that. But I'm going to stop here because that's probably a longer discussion that you should have with Nicola and Charles uh, at Ledger uh, because uh, it's a, then it becomes an expert discussion. And, uh, you know, I'm a CEO of a security company, so I understand what we do, but I'm no expert, but on that question, that's what I would say. Um, and PBST, uh, it's uh, it's something that uh, that we support. You know, at Ledger, we uh, the market is moving fast, and the market has uh, many needs for, for for features. And so the problem that we have is either we do everything ourselves, and then it becomes slow. Uh, and already, you've asked me like several questions on, on on several things, and it's like you know, what do you do here? What do you do there, etc. And we will deliver in 20, but we haven't delivered in 19. That's because there are so many things that we need to do. And so one of our approach, it's, it's to keep the system open. And as you know, you can use uh, with the Nano S or Nano X, you can use Ledger Live, but you can also use Electrum uh, or you know, other uh, third-party software. And sometimes those third-party software offer, offer features that Ledger uh, doesn't, uh, doesn't offer. Uh, so typically multi-sig, you can use Electrum to do multi-sig with your with your with your Nano, uh, and PBSD is the same. Uh, actually, uh, you can uh, uh, we have a proxies through uh, HWI. Uh, actually, there is a there is a GitHub uh, GitHub.com slash Bitcoin dash core slash HWI, um, and so we support. PSBT through uh, a third party, uh, and uh, uh, we can do better in 2020. But this integration fu- functions, and you know, uh, for 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 someone who would want that feature enabled. Yeah, great, and uh, yeah, thank you for that uh, for giving us a. Uh, comprehensive response on those and uh yeah look for some further in-depth discussion maybe i I, you know i can get nicola on and talk to him about some of those other points also i was curious to ask about your thoughts around vendors and uh sort of retailing of the product so is this uh, as i see it maybe correct me if if my understanding is not right but i think the ledger approach is that it's it's sort of like that because the device is certified you're more comfortable that it is resold by other uh, suppliers are in other countries around the world, and perhaps that has also contributed to how Ledger, d- the devices, are now used uh, or sold in 165 countries. Is that uh, part of the thinking there with Ledger and the, uh, let's call it the supply chain or the distribution model? Yeah, completely. I mean, 
well, you just said it, so I'm just going to paraphrase what you what you said. But uh, but it's, it is uh, it is like that. Uh, we can basically uh, send our device to any vendor in the world, uh, and they can resell the device without the risk of you know putting like a malware on on the device or doing anything that could uh, in the end harm the user because you have the genuine check when you uh, because you have multiple things that you have to do with your ledger in order to 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 make it work and there are multiple ways of verifying that your ledger is genuine and so there are some attacks that are possible with other vendors that are not possible with ledger because of the nature of how we build things and because of the secure element and so therefore it allows us to have uh, a broad uh, distribution policy, but also it allows us. It allowed us uh, in um, in 2017 to have uh, manufacturers manufacture our products uh, without being able to uh, inject anything uh, in in the product that could harm the user. Well, now, now that being said, there are very simple attacks that are always possible. So typically, if I get my hands on a ledger, uh, I take the you know. I preset the ledger, I write down the 24 words, and then I repackage everything and I send it to a user that is not, um, uh, that doesn't really understand how it works and that doesn't read everything that we say because normally when you set up your ledger, et cetera, we always say, you know, you, you, only you can write down your 24 words, like never show them to anyone. But, uh, uh, but we've seen in the past that, you know, people that don't really pay attention to, to, to what we write or uh, can be influenced to, uh, to either uh, use a product that has already been set up with 24 words that are being sent to them, and or, you know, sometimes get a like a phishing attack where there is a website that's going to say, "Hey, we are Ledger, and you know, give us your 24 words because uh, uh, we want to reset your device." Or you know, there there are scam attacks like this that uh, that that always happen. So you know, the last line of defense is always the user uh, that needs to pay a lot of attention. I think what's very difficult in this market and what users uh, need to understand is they need to pay attention. So Ledger is secure, but uh, the process of setting up your Ledger is uh, very important. So you need to take the time. You need to be in a quiet room. You need to, you know, you're not, you don't do that in a, in a Starbucks coffee with like uh, 20,000 people around you. Like you need to be at home. You need to be uh, in a secure environment. You need to pay attention to what you do uh, because it is security. And uh, security of your own money is an important thing, so you should treat it as such. Uh, and I think this is the shift that needs to happen because we come from a world where you have your Revolut app, and so you have just a pin code and you do everything, and you know, and, and it's it's all easy. But your money is not yours; it's with Revolut. So this is the old world. In the new world, where your keys are yours and your money is yours, I think it's a fantastic power. But you know, as Spiderman say, great powers come with great responsibilities, and so therefore you need to be very careful about what you do. <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, definitely that's the big mindset shift that uh, has to be driven as people come into Bitcoin and learn to, well, there's no there's no bailouts in Bitcoin. You have to take your, your full uh, personal responsibility when you do this. Uh, Pascal, let's talk a little bit about Ledger Vault. So for those uh, listeners who might be interested to understand more, can you just give an overview on that product? Sure. I mean, Ledger Vault is uh, is a product that we've designed because people were using the, uh, the the nanos and the consumer product, and but but those people were actually not people. They were like hedge funds or you know uh, companies, and they were like, okay, but we have governance needs, and you know we we need multi sig, we need different features that you know the Ledger uh, Nano and Ledger Live Experience is not is not offering, and you know and, and, and we have enterprise needs. So can you can you help? And so this is this is what we've designed for them. So the Ledger Vault is a result of that. And it's basically a product that's been designed for 
enterprise, for the enterprise and for financial institutions that basically allows to secure the private keys and put governance on top of those private keys. So if you have $100 million in Bitcoin, like the question is who's got access, who can do what? Uh, and so there, there is a complex set of uh, business features that has been developed on top of the interface where you can sort of divide administrators of the funds from operators of the funds. It's a, it's a complex governance system that has been designed for complex uh, environments uh, for the financial institutions. Right. And so the way that a user would interact with Ledger Vault, then is there, I presume you can set certain policies on which users can authorize transactions up to this amount or how many users. Is that is that basically the model there with Ledger Vault? Yeah, completely. So you say, you know, for certain for this account and or certain type of transactions, like, you know, if you want to send more than $5 million to an address that is not... Uh, to, to an address that you need three out of four approval or two out of four approval. Um, you know, imagine every business rule that you could have in a, in a, in a, in a financial institution, basically those business rules have been implemented into, into Ledger Vault and you can sort of hard code them into, into the hardware. And so what's interesting there is the hardware not only signs the transaction, the secure hardware signs the transaction, uh, but also enforces the business rules. Uh, because sometimes uh, you, you would have vendors that say hardware sign the transaction, but actually business rules happen outside of the secure, secure uh, security. And so therefore the HSMs, the hardware security modules, which is what you, we use here for hardware security, has been given an instruction from sort of outside the security scheme. And so they say, they've been given an instruction to sign something, so they sign it. They sign it securely, but they don't know that what they received was actually wrong or fraudulent, etc. So with us, it's has been designed so everything run within the hardware uh, and the secure hardware, and every rule is enforced by the secure hardware. Right, and in that model, is the is is it like a self-hosted by each business, or is this something that's more hosted by Ledger, if that makes sense? No, no, it makes complete sense. So right now it's a, it's a SaaS product, so software as a service. So uh, HSMs are hosted uh, by Ledger. Uh, and uh, what the uh, user have is, is an interface, the Ledger Vault interface that is somewhat similar to, to Ledger Live. And they have also uh, authenticators. So they have a hardware wallet product in their hands to actually uh, validate transactions. Uh, but HSMs are hosted by Ledger. It sounds to me like that product was more like a, a pool product, if you will. Like companies came to Ledger and saying, hey, we want this. Uh, I, I was uh, curious just to think because uh, th there might also be that barrier of trying to you know, tell or have businesses think about, oh, this is like a new world for us. Like we don't understand this. H how do we uh, get across the line in terms of actually holding uh, some of these uh yeah, holding Bitcoin as well. Was that a difficult sort of conversation or were those difficult conversations for you to have? But, you know, it's a, you know, the enterprise side is funny because it's a bit like the consumer side. So the consumer newbie that doesn't really get it goes on Coinbase. You know, that's uh, it's great service. It doesn't really fulfill the promise of Bitcoin, but hey, I just want to buy one Bitcoin and uh, I go on Coinbase and it's easy and, and voila, it's done. Uh, and so I would say that... Uh, you know, same, some financial institutions just want, they don't want the hassle of holding the coin. They don't want all the private keys. They don't want all of that. They just want exposure to an asset class. And so therefore they're happy to go with a custodian. So they buy the coin, but they trust a custodian with it. Uh, 
Um, and that's okay because a lot of our clients that use the ledger technology are custodians. So, you know, so if we talk to someone and they say, no, but I don't want to hold my private keys, I just want to give my money to someone, then we refer them to some of our partners that are custodians and have been designed for, for and have a product and have a service that is designed for this. Um, yeah, I have to say also that in the financial institution world, a custodian don't just hold the money. Actually, custodian gives you also many other services that sometimes you need as a hedge fund, etc. Um, and so our technology, of course, solves some of uh, the issues about like security, etc. But like we don't, we're not a custodian ourselves. We're only a technology player. So there are certain services that if you want to have them, you you have to use a third party anyways. But some of the players actually are holding their keys. I mean, if you think about the the, the, the big players in the industry, they have a security infrastructure. They're holding their keys. They they do a lot of things right now. But but this financial institution world is very interesting because it's moving with regulation. And so whether exchanges typically will still be allowed to keep the coins with them in the future and act as a de facto custodian, that's that's a big question right now. Uh, it's probably not going to, going to be the case. It's not the case in the regular financial world. So it probably won't be the case uh, in uh, in in the uh, uh, Bitcoin and, and and cryptocurrency world, but uh, but all of this is forming. Whatever happened, we we are a technology backbone. We're a technology player, and we only provide technology. So whether we provide technology to, you know, uh, custodians that then uh, take the deposit of the coins for third parties, or that we provide technology to uh, any hedge fund, bank, etc., that want to have their own coins and and their own private keys, uh, we 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 will provide the tech. Gotcha. Yeah, that's really fascinating to think about where the where it all goes in terms of the structure as Bitcoin grows up, so to speak. Do you have any uh, thoughts on what you think happens as Bitcoin grows up? <clears throat> I think Bitcoin is growing up right now. I mean, if you see what if you see what's happening, uh, because people look at the price and the market cap, and I've seen so many tweets recently to say, "Oh, you know, give me faith that Bitcoin is going to work," because right now with the price dipping, I feel it's a problem. Actually, I don't feel it's a problem uh, for people that are. Sort of losing hope of faith because of price evolution, I would say <clears throat> there's so much that's being built in 19 and so much that is being built right now and in, in, into 2020, um, especially in the in the you know from financial institutions. I mean, big financial institutions are moving into the game, but we have to be realistic. The infrastructure that is needed for an asset class to emerge. It's not completely there yet. I mean, in terms of security, it's not completely there. Uh, uh, in terms of features, it's not completely there, et cetera, et cetera. But 2020 will be, uh, I think, a big year because there will be many announcements now that will come uh, from very large financial institutions that are moving into Bitcoin. They're not moving into, um, because they're moving into, you know, other form of tokenization of assets like STOs, et cetera, et cetera. And that's, and that's all good. And that's another wave, but, uh, and that's an, a wave that would be beneficial for, to the industry. But I'm talking about, but I'm really talking about Bitcoin, like, you know, financial institutions are moving into, into Bitcoin. Uh, 19 was an infrastructure play. I mean, you know, we know, we know the names like Fidelity and, uh, uh, backed and uh, CME, etc. You know these are big guys, and they've all announced, uh, and they're all doing something in 19, and they announced they'll do bigger in 20. So, you know, the price right now is irrelevant. The market cap right now is irrelevant because uh, at some point it will shoot through the roof, and you know those those pieces that were installed in 19 will thrive in 2021, and uh, this is this is the beginning of a, of a big asset class, I think. 
Yeah, that's fantastic. Uh, Pascal, do you have any uh, parting thoughts or advice for the listeners out there in terms of securing their Bitcoins or anything you think they should think about? Well, number one, I would like to say that in terms of R&D for us in uh, in 20, we have a big focus on, on Bitcoin. Uh, and so, you know, if you want to talk about this with, uh, with Nicolas Bacar, our Chief Innovation Officer, I think it will be a, a next logical step of the discussion with, with Ledger because, you know, uh, Bitcoin is... Uh, uh, is the dominant coin uh, is the biggest community, and so therefore, you know, for us, our plans in 2020, we have Bitcoin like top of mind, and and many things that we want to do there. When we touch, we touch base on, on several topics here already with you, but uh, but I think uh, you know, Nicola will actually do the job. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, but 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 yeah, that's that, and uh, <clears throat> I think we, you know, the message for us and what we're gonna do is we're gonna keep we're gonna keep on building and. Uh, I think it's very important that uh, that companies keep on building great products, that we keep on interacting with our users. So we probably will want to interact more with users in, in, in 2020, whether they're advanced or newbies, et cetera, just to better understand how to design our products uh, and, and, you know, and, and what's good for the market. Uh, and the general message is, you know, uh, not your keys, not your coins, uh, you know, do your own security, but be very mindful when you do your security. And uh, you know Ledger is is here to help as a as a target for the company in 2020. The number one target is love our customers. So we'll try to do better than what we've done in 19. Always try to to improve. We have a great customer success team. We uh, we have a great innovation team. So we'll just try to uh, improve our game, uh, do better, and uh, and serve our communities better. Yeah, look, thank you very much, Pascal. And uh, like I said, look, I, I grilled you a bit on some of these points, but I do believe Ledger is a leading company. I, I hold, you know, I have some Ledger products. I use Ledger products as well. So uh, thanks for that and for uh, a lot of the work that you, you and your team, very, very sharp and uh, very security focused minded team. So I think uh, there's, there's uh, good work being done there. Um, but yeah, certainly, as we mentioned, there's always uh, room for improvement, um, but we'll be looking forward to that. And I'll, obviously, we'll be uh, happy to host uh, some other members from your team on the show, and we can have some uh, in-depth conversation with them. Uh, but uh, for now, I think we'll leave it with that. Uh, but look, just before we let you go, can you just uh, let the listeners know where to find you and where they can find Ledger? Oh, me, they can find me. Uh, my email is pascal at ledger.com or fr. Uh, anyone can send me an email. Happy, you know, happy to reply if it's, uh, if it's, if it's relevant. And if I don't have time or not relevant, then I'm sorry, I don't, I don't reply because I'm receiving uh, too, too many messages already. But, uh, but if you want to shoot me anything, pascal at ledger.fr. I'm usually based in Paris. Actually, the uh, R&D team, engineering team is based in Paris, but uh, I travel often to the US, New York, or San Francisco, and to Hong Kong, where we're based, uh, Hong Kong and Singapore uh, for, for, for Asia. So uh, hit me up and uh, happy to meet with, uh, with, with people. Fantastic. Well, thank you very much for joining me. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. I hope you got some value out of that interview and I will be hosting some other team members from Ledger on in future to go a little bit further into detail on some of those technical components we touched on in the interview. So remember, if you enjoy the show, make sure you leave me a review. You can support me by leaving a review on Apple iTunes. You can share it on social media, forums, chat groups. And I've also got a Patreon group for those people who want to be part of a private SLP supporters chat group. If you want to advertise on the show, you can email me, stefanlevera at pm.me. Don't forget, there's show notes and episode transcript on my website as always. The website is stefanlevera.com. 
Thanks for listening, and I'll see you in the Citadels.